0: I guess I would relate it to the challenges that are facing us all in our culture right now. Dads are are probably in a place to offer perhaps more than minimal guidance to the next generation of children, boys and girls. To be part of the solution rather than a continuing part of the problem Mm -hmm. in our culture.
1: Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's Bear Crawl together. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening. And uh, we, as you know, Bear Crawl with Dads exists to just encourage dads out there to support dads no matter what walk of life they're in, whether they're new dads, if they're empty nesters. Uh, we just want dads to know that you're not alone. And for the various guests that we have, you know, our hope and our prayer is that something that they say may really encourage you. Uh, and spark something in you. So I'm very, very honored to have a very special person as my guest today on this episode. I want to introduce him as Colin, but there's a lot more to him than just Colin. Uh, This is Dr. Colin Harris. He hails from the great state of Georgia, and he happens to be a relative of mine. So Colin, thanks for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we're so, again, just so honored to have you and being at your family and, you know, my dad's side of the family hails from Georgia. I know that you're in a different time zone than me right now, so I don't know how many cups of coffee you've had, how many if you're sipping on right now, but I appreciate you pulling
0: one for the team and staying up late with me. It's nice to have uh, some encouragement to behave like normal people. (laughs) It's almost like when I was interviewing my dad a couple
1: episodes ago, the fact that you and I are sitting here. With their headphones, having a recorded conversation is a miracle in itself, isn't it? Indeed it
0: is.
1: (laughs) Well, and I thank you for all the effort that you have gone through to make this happen. So thank you, Colin. And and I think, you know, obviously you are probably going to be very humble in who you are, but I'll say I would love the audience to know before we get into kind of you and your background as far as your father and your family. Yeah, I think it's important for folks to know that you do hail from the, the great city of Atlanta. Um, I was just at your early childhood school or your blower school, love it, school there in Atlanta not too long ago at attending a conference. Um, and obviously got to see you and your wife for dinner that night. But you're a proud bear from Mercer University and got your MDiv at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, followed by your Ph.D. at Duke University. Um, so, Dr.
0: Harris, what a pedigree right there. Well, thank you again for inviting me And First, I, I want to congratulate you, Ross, on this series that you're producing, a conversation among several people about a very important feature of our lives together as part of the human family. I think it's a great idea. I've been thinking about it a lot since learning of it a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, mm-hmm. And and I don't know a more important place for good conversation to occur than the one you're exploring here, which is examining a very important dynamic of our relational lives together. I think Mm -hmm. the healing of our society and culture is going to depend on uh, good health in the relational part of our lives. And this is certainly a good step in that direction, I think. And I'm honored, as I said, to be a part of the conversation. I appreciate you seeing that, Colin. And I think that's the biggest
1: thing is just having conversation. And, you know, I think being the product of my father, you know, just we love to hear stories. We love to hear what shapes people, or molds people, you know, with you specifically, what led you to go in the certain direction that you went in there in Georgia. You know, and it is, it's a conversation, you know, and I think the prayer again, is that something that you say, maybe that may spark uh, something in someone that's listening that just needs to hear what you have to say. And from your experiences, is has you know, obviously we're focusing on dads and we know behind usually uh, every dad, there's a strong woman. And so I also want to acknowledge those phenomenal ladies in our lives for sure. You know, but I think kind of zooming in on the role of a dad and the father and just how important that is and just the, the challenge and encourage, you know, dads out there, you know, no matter where they are in their life. So let's kind of zoom in on you. Just growing up, where did you grow up? And Tell us a little bit about, also your relationship with your father. Did you have siblings? And just kind of that
0: dynamic just during those horrible years in, oh, in your life. I'm happy to be as descriptive as I can be about that. I'm, I'm 80 years old, or that tells you a little something about my generation. I grew up near Atlanta in the uh, suburban area known as Decatur, Georgia, in the shadow of Emory University, very close to where we live. And uh, I have one sister younger than me by six years. And so our family was a typical nuclear family of mom and dad and, and me and my sister. We grew up in the 50s and the 60s in the era of, of that part of, of our history. Had a, I guess as normal a family life as one could expect to have, my dad <laughs> worked outside the home and provided for the family. and Mother was a homemaker, uh, took care of all of the things that homemakers do we grew up in that kind of context with fairly healthy relationships, I think, all around. My dad and mother both came to Atlanta at the time that they married, having grown up in North Georgia, a rural community outside Cumming, Georgia, which I've often described as a a little finger of Appalachia that reaches down then about 50 miles of Atlanta. Culture that was very agrarian, small family farm context, and so on. While I grew up in the, in the city of atlanta uh, or in a suburb i had as part of a kind of a double heritage i suppose of the of the rural agrarian background of my parents and the fairly normal uh, city life of someone who grows up there i was born in atlanta and spent all my early years there but i i think that combination had something to do with uh, the values and the perspective that i had on on life mom and dad both were uh, born at a time that they arrived in young adulthood during the Great Depression. Mm. And uh, that, I think, had a significant mark on the lives of many people who experienced it at that time. Uh, It led them to be industrious and it led them to be quite frugal. Extravagance was not a part of their experience in any kind of way. Uh, Unfortunately, while many were Had difficulty finding work. My dad was uh, willing and able to do a variety of kinds of jobs, and so he he managed to stay employed uh, in a way that helped the family enjoy some economic stability during that time.
1: So during the Great Depression, he was a child, or
0: he was raised during the Great Depression. He was born in 1912, and my mother was born in 1915. Okay, and so when in 29 uh, he would have been 17, I guess, and uh, and she. 13 or 14 and so you know they were coming into their uh, adulthood mm-hmm. uh, when the great depression began constraints of that particular period of of life put a pretty indelible mark on the on the uh, prior, economic priorities especially of people in their generation i think sure sure or, yeah. no of course we were by the time i was born we were coming out of the depression during oh. world, war, world war ii and uh, in, in that context, there was a beginning of a recovery from that and more comfortable times and, uh, and so on. Neither of them went beyond high school with their education. They uh, were quite clear in their commitment that my sister and I would have the opportunity to go to college. And so they, uh, they uh, made the economic decisions that enabled them to be able to help us do that. And so uh, my sister and I are part of the first generation of our family, really, who did go to college, and most of the ones the generation before us did not. But uh, What a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. It it was, I think, a significant vision on their part that uh, there were horizons beyond the ones that they had been able to see. Uh They were willing to provide some platforms uh, from which we could see them. And I I think that was a a significant kind of uh, vision and commitment that was not very selfish, but was quite uh, quite charitable and uh, helpful to us. After high school I was able to go to college at Mercer in Macon as you mentioned and that's where Faye and I met and I became part of the family that you're part of as a result of that encounter. I've enjoyed that ever since. You've married well. I married well. You, no you question about that. I think there's some question in her mind about how well she did, but that
1: is true. Yeah. That is true. That that's been kind of a family secret for a long time Colin, but but well, we're not going to talk about that on the podcast. That, that, uh, <laughs> well, let's real quickly, your father, I know you said he, he did various jobs. Was there was there one occupation
0: or job that he did? Yeah, what did he do specifically? The longest uh, or I guess, I guess the largest percentage of his work years were involved in the soft drink beverage industry, uh, either as a route salesman or a plant manager. Uh, corporate rep uh, for other kinds of things. He he bounced around to a number of different jobs in in that field, but okay, the soft drink industry was the locus of most of his work, and uh, uh, it was a job he enjoyed. It was something that uh, uh, afforded him the a way to make a living and this this kind of thing. Uh, one uh, humorous uh, feature of his work when he first came to Atlanta as a uh, he, they were not get married. His first job was with the Krispy Kreme. Oh, his company! I company <laughs> he, he used to say the first two or three days on the job, he ate all the donuts he could get free, <laughs> and he said that he, uh, he he never wanted to eat another Krispy Kreme donut again. I was going to say, yeah, he probably never touched it again. I don't mean
1: to bring this up to you know, for a sore subject, but here in Houston, um, Shipley Donuts is the king. And mm-hmm. so not, not too far from a house, a Krispy Kreme opened up and mm-hmm. there were lines and lines for days and weeks for the Krispy Kreme. Mm-hmm. But I think Shipley's probably knew just give it time, give it time. And mm-hmm. uh, sure enough, the Krispy Kreme closed and Shipley's still, <laughs> yeah. So Shipley still runs the, didn't know that story, runs the shop here in Houston for sure. Uh-huh. But, um, but very weird of the Christy Green. Now, did did your dad at all? I've got to ask because, true confession, I am a Diet Coke judge, if you will. I am a Diet Coke uh, addict. So I probably need some therapy or some help. But did, did he work
0: for, you know, Coke? Coca-Cola? Coke? Well, okay, the companies he did not work for. Oh. Okay. And neither was Pepsi on top of all of them. Okay. Okay. Um, his first job was with the Dr. Pepper Company, which was a standalone uh, company based that of, I met uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh-huh. and 7-Up were the, were the companion beverages there. Then yes. he spent a good number of years with the company called Byerly's, which was a non-carbonated fruit drink, uh, sort of a, ver- a non-carbonated version of a knee That's better known, I think. And uh, he operated the bottling plant for the Byerly's uh, beverage uh, for a good number of years, and that was the first place I ever had a job uh, when I was in high school. I was able to work in the summer in the plant and uh, do the sort of labor that uh, uh, somebody with no skills could do. Mm. But that was my foray into the into the beverage industry. After a number of years of doing that, he uh, he became part of the New Grape Company. Okay, which New Grape and Suncrest were uh, sort of similar to Nehi, which is again more familiar, I think. But then he uh, finally retired from. Doing that kind of work you know, when he reached about sixty-five. I gotcha. Colin, what was your relationship like with your dad? Because I think it's I, I think it's
1: interesting and and, and maybe point in, important to highlight. You know, as I'm doing different interviews with different people, uh, different ages, and so one generation, you have dads who are a little bit more. Maybe this newer generation dads are a little bit more maybe engaged with their kids. There mm-hmm. there's more intentionality of showing up, showing their feelings. More expressive. Where the next generation ago, the the dad typically showed their love by work. Um, I'm providing for my family. Maybe not the touchy feely. Maybe do as I say. You know what I'm saying. My, the way I show my love is through tough love or my actions, instead of my words. So with being that your dad grew up there right uh during the great depression or in his teenager years um what was your relationship like with him how did he show his love for you
0: you know what did y'all do together as far as connections or bonds that's a good good question and i like very much the way you describe the the range of possibilities uh, for that kind of relationship i remember uh, friends and their relationships with their fathers uh, across the spectrum of that range that you described dad was a pretty low-key kind of person he, he did work hard and he was gone at work uh, from before i got up in the morning most of the time until uh, late in the day so we did have the the separation from our daily routine that work required of someone in that uh, that generation but the, the relationship was always extremely comfortable i was always very supportive and. Uh, I, I don't ever remember not feeling comfortable and happy that Dad was home, uh-huh. any of this. Um, he was uh, able to, to help me be involved somewhat in the work that he did, you know, going to the plant and being around the plant was something that was easy to do. He didn't have a lot of time during his working years to, to be engaged too directly. He did serve as a uh, assistant scoutmaster of my scout troop, and uh, would attend ball games and things of that sort, you know, as as he could. It was a, a really a very comfortable kind of kind of association. I remember remember him him being warm and friendly and uh, loving uh, yeah. in, in every kind of way. Never experienced the kind of authoritarian need on his part to be in control of things. Uh, he, he was a very nurturing. Uh, mild-mannered sort of thing offering guidance and, and drawing lines boundary lines when needed but uh never moving to that end of authoritative uh, authoritarian style of, of parenting right all. right and mother was much the same way too I, they they didn't have a good cop bad cop kind of thing they were both good cops i think in the in the structure yep. of our family life so uh, our relationship was always you know uh, from small child to older child to adolescent into adulthood, grew into a kind of companionship that was quite strong all through our adult years. And uh, we stayed close and and, uh, functioned together quite comfortably uh, up until the time that he died. You know,
1: was there something that you two did together that was kind
0: of unique to y'all? Yeah, I guess... We didn't do hunting and fishing much. He didn't have much interest in that, and neither did I. I suppose the one thing that that began early and stayed a function that we both enjoyed was uh, woodworking. He procured a, a small table saw when I was a teenager, and uh, that was sort of the beginning of, of a, a process that led to some far more elaborate uh, doings. But uh, we enjoyed the uh, Kind of work that woodworkers do, uh, both in terms of uh, general carpentry and and then the, the kind of cabinet furniture making uh, style of things, that was the probably the the hobby or the avocation that that we both enjoyed enough to keep as a kind of partnership. As he grew older and was less able to do that kind of thing, he still enjoyed being around when I was doing it and. Uh, he taught me a lot about uh, about those basics, and then uh, we wound up learning together a lot of things. Uh, okay. as, as I guess woodworking would be the primary thing that, that we enjoyed doing. That's
1: awesome, that's awesome. Well, and thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to kind of establish, too, a little bit of your roots and and that connection, right, as we then start to kind of focus on you and your role as a father to your children, uh, to your two kids, what would be, if you could remember, or something that sticks with you, either the best advice that your dad gave
0: you? He wasn't a great advice giver uh, in the sense that, uh, let me tell you what you need to do kind of, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always willing to offer counsel and guidance as it uh, was needed. I don't ever remember being pressured to accept that guidance uh, without question or anything. The primary thing I would identify along the line of your question, I think, was a m- more of a model of living that uh, that simply portrayed, rather than talked much about, a life of integrity and commitment to uh, the common good uh-huh. and a commitment to treating people right mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. And on on a few occasions, i Remember seeing him make some decisions that were detrimental to himself, but he was not willing to benefit himself at the expense of his own integrity. Those decisions cost him something. It cost him a job at least one time that I remember, when he uh, uh, simply would not go along with uh, a party line that was uh, being required of him. Uh, he rather than doing doing something that he didn't couldn't believe in, he. Uh, uh, was willing to stand up for what he thought was right. And uh, I've always sort of remembered that as uh, the, the sort of lesson that was not proclaimed but lived. And uh, and I I guess in some ways I like to hope that that lesson has taken root somehow in my own experience.
1: Well, and that's powerful. And you said that he didn't just say you, you witnessed that or you
0: were aware of I, that. <laughs> aware we of I, I was not involved at all, in it, but sure. it occurred during a, a fairly crucial time. It was when I was in college, and that was not an easy time for a, a family to have its income at risk, right. and, uh, and yet uh, provisions were made, and to the help of, of another family friend, uh, there was less interruption economically than there might have been, uh, and another, another path uh, soon appeared, and so it was not a A crisis or extreme disruption, but it was one of those places where uh, integrity won out over compromise. I'm I'm glad you brought that
1: up because that actually parallels my journey with my father with Mm -hmm. kind of my high school period um, Mm -hmm. and even going to college that dad was not a yes, is not a yes man. And so his character never wavered and making some tough decisions uh, in kind of the politics of New Orleans. And so right. there was there was some financial burdens, some concerns, but just some I'd say some some God provisions, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of got us through. That showed up kind of miraculous ways. Mm-hmm. So, so
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that that yeah, does ring I, true. I remember that occasion in your life uh, too. Uh, that was a family feature that we were mm-hmm. a little more aware of than than uh, might otherwise have been. Mm-hmm. And I was admiring your dad for. So mm-hmm. Position he took with reference to some things, and uh, uh, that that just sort of sort of stands alongside my own father as an example. Yes. Here's, here's how you need to yes to live. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I think too maybe that I don't know, at least in
1: my maybe dad's generation, you know dad uh, that they want to fix things also yeah. to you know by their example. But that that was huge to me. It's it's not sometimes how much you talk and preach and preach. Sometimes it's more how you live and when you when you don't think people are looking that mm-hmm. often sometimes at least for me may, may, may make such a huge difference right well thank you for sharing that all about your father and i think that helps also to paint a little bit i know we haven't spoken a lot about your mother um but i'll see a force to be reckoned with too and a huge i can imagine a huge um, made a huge impact on your life kind of how that has molded you Colin, as you became a father for the first time and having those two uh parents as examples mm-hmm. what was the greatest challenge you have two children who are grown and have grandkids now so you've you have the luxury of seeing now two generations right and but what was your greatest challenge do you think as a dad and again not really it could be when they were infants it could be when they were in middle school god forbid middle school years well
0: uh that's a, that's a good question to ponder. I don't recall any crises that were sure. threatening to derail the train or anything mm-hmm. along the way. Our children were very good to us growing up. Uh, they did the typical things that young children two years apart will do, you know, like arguing over who has the most space on the back seat of the car <laughs> I and mean, this kind of thing. They were incredibly good to us along the way. I remember thinking, when children came along in our lives that uh, I hope that we, Faye and I, both, both would be perhaps uh, at least as somewhat as good as our parents had been to us because, uh, as you know, her parents were also uh, good models of integrity and mm-hmm. commitment to values that wasn't healthy. And so I don't remember any any major challenges other than the uh, the, the normal kind of thing of wanting to be sure that time was budgeted properly and in order to provide attention to the right things, and I was fortunate to have a job that uh, allowed a good deal of flexibility mm-hmm. schedule-wise. Mm-hmm. People who work in, in higher education have, have a, a lot of freedom to adjust schedules around uh, things, and so it was possible for me to attend things when needed and to be available to support various routine needs, doctor's appointments, and other things when needed. Uh, Faye was in a, also in an educational setting, but with a little more rigid schedule in the public schools. We both had the kind of job that afforded a good deal of time not having to work, uh, you know, summertime and, and other kinds of things. So we were quite blessed with a structural advantage that many parents didn't have, whose jobs were a little more confining mm-hmm. And man. The challenges, as I recall, were just simply the challenges of trying to budget time properly and make sure that attention was given to the right things along the way.
1: Well, let's dive a little bit into time. You know, with your children's activities, you know, I think one thing that you know has come up a lot, you know, in my interviews with several dads is, you one day they're five, you blink, and the next day they're getting their driver's license and then they're getting married or they're graduating from college. And I guess the point is that it happens, it goes by so quick. You know, and so many dads are like, I just wish maybe that I would have been more intentional about spending time with my children, quality time, or I would have put some of my personal interests, whether it's going out on the weekends and playing golf or going out and, you know, duck hunting during duck season or something. But, you know, just putting some of my personal interest hobbies aside and focusing on that quality time so with your kids was there any kind of intentionality on family traditions on getting that time with them
0: or rituals that your family did to preserve that time yeah your questions are good reminders of things that were important to us during those years we developed some family traditions, I guess, out of out of routine habit and the way in which we connected. We we uh, stayed, you know, connected with our extended family quite well, and we developed friendships among contemporaries of our own with children the ages of ours that uh, developed some patterns of association and uh, trips together and some things of that kind that were uh, very helpful. But I, I don't remember anything other than a, a fairly comfortable and mutually satisfactory pattern of, of engagement and disengagement in terms of letting the children do their things. And I, I guess we would be accused of being helicopter parents uh, in, in some ways, Instead, we stayed pretty close in touch with what they were doing mm-hmm. and engaged with what they we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think I ever felt them complaining that we were being overbearing or anything of that sort Okay. Of- okay so okay. i guess probably they're the ones you need to interview about that okay <laughs> we will do that we'll do that next and get
1: the real do that That's right. That's yeah right. we'll see if you're really speaking the truth well and thank you for that because I, I do i think it's fascinating too again being curious getting to have these chats with different various folks you know what are traditions what are what are things that are unique to your family um some people are like we really protected dinner time like We always sat together as a family. It would get a little bit harder when the kids got older, whether it's sports or fine arts, but we really, that was kind of our sacred space or, you know, a road trip. I've said this many times on my show. So uh, those two people that are listening consistently, that my dad would, was very intentional about one night, one Friday night, it would be my date night, you know, and Ross, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, just, it was just me and my dad. You know, mm-hmm. then my, my dad would take my two sisters out independently and would hold a door open for them, would, you know, to show them how you should be treated, you know, when you mm-hmm. start dating. And, and also, but just having that special time, right, mm-hmm. and just like, wow, you know, my dad, who you look up to, is stopping everything to spend time with me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and I remember my granddad in Galveston who... You know, was the mayor of Galveston, was a very prominent medical doctor in Galveston. But I just remember the simple act of him taking the time and going and getting a vanilla cone at Dairy Queen, and you know, here's my grandfather, larger than life in my eyes, mm-hmm. was, was taking time, one on one with me, and I'd still remember that. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess that's kind of where I'm going too. Yeah, my, and I, I like, I like the thought pattern you're suggesting there. I, I think the key that you are helping me see and think about is that. Uh, the essential ingredient there is not so much structure as it is relationship. Uh, Ah. It's not that you're doing something every Tuesday night, but it's you're doing something with one another. Yes. which might vary structurally. Yes. And as I think about it to, I think, maybe respond a little better than I did earlier to your question, we didn't have a great deal of structured order in our lives in terms of dinner time or uh, we ate dinner but uh, we didn't have a, a rigid pattern of how we did or whatever sure and, and so the the things that i think we took away from that period of life was not so much the how or the what but the with whom Uh uh-huh. important in the sense that it it didn't really matter what we were eating or where what mattered was that we were together yes. and were present with each other in that in that sense yes and the the variation of it uh rather than being uh, while it sometimes it may have been haphazard but it also led to discovery of things that we might not have discovered if we'd been more rigidly uh, structured i think
1: yeah no that's good that's good i appreciate that <laughs> And I'm curious too, because also with my two-year-old son, and you know, what'd you do, man? Like, what'd you do in this situation, and how'd you not screw it up? And if you did, give me some advice, because I'm I'm over here scrambling, making some notes, you know, from from all of my all my guests right? Because I'm I'm trying to pick it, get some get some help here, you know. And so I'm curious about lines of communication with your kids. How do you foster, or how did you, or looking back, or even with your grandkids? How do you create, because I think communication is so important and keeping those lines of communication open, no matter what your child does, no matter how far they've gone astray, you know, the prodigal son, you know, how did you maintain or did you, or maybe not, but were your children, did they ever get to, were they ever in a place where they could really feel like they could tell you anything?
0: As I said earlier, we were very fortunate in that our children uh, were, were incredibly good to us on that order. They didn't force us to become magicians of communication, right? Uh, And and it was, in my judgment, they might uh, have a different perspective. But uh, my sense is that uh, we were always pretty open with each other about whatever was going on in our lives. Uh, When they were adolescents, I think there were times when they probably wished we wouldn't uh, be. Uh, quite as uh, authoritative as they were experiencing us to be, but that I don't think ever had a, a negative effect on the channel of, of communication itself. So I, I and, and I need to to make one other point too. We we know a lot of people who are better parents than we were, whose uh, children weren't quite as good to them as ours were to us, uh, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something that you can boast about that you, your kids turned out okay um, because there are just too many examples of well-intended and responsible parents who, whose children make decisions that make that communication more difficult, right, and life more difficult in that kind of way. I guess the uh, you're asking about channels of communication and so on. I, my sense is that, that one of the keys to doing that is for the the child, young or older, uh, to be utterly convinced that you care about them and that you're willing to listen to whatever their concern is and mm-hmm. hear them. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fortunate to be married to a master of doing that. Uh, I learn from Faye every day about better and worse ways of of uh, responding to children and their needs and so on. Yeah, yeah. She helps me yeah. uh, at every at every turn to remember what, what is desirable. And uh, yeah. I always mm-hmm. do. It. But uh, she helps me remember what I should be doing. Uh, I love that. I love that. What a testimony.
1: So again, continuing with your role as, as a father, and now obviously you're a grandfather. So it's kind of twofold. Number one, what would you tell... Your dad now, now that you're obviously a granddad, if you had a chance.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think that would sum it up. Thinking that if I could be as good a dad as my dad was, I would be pretty happy. Uh And uh, maybe I'm extended beyond where your line of question is going, but it's also quite an experience to see your son be a better dad than you were mm. and i have the opportunity to do that too i'm sort of in a in a an interesting pattern all three of us have the same first name we're all john my dad was john holder harris and i'm john colin harris and my son is john michael harris his son is john william harris so there are four generations of johns now and john william harris is about to graduate from college this weekend and mm-hmm. so we've got four generations of lineage there in that kind of way i see in that evolution of generations of uh, uh a maturing of the relationship of father to child that uh it's, it's quite inspiring to see yeah i would
1: imagine that would be a neat place to be where you are in life yeah. to to see that and to kind of have a front row seat to that and what a blessing and a testimony I am curious
0: to what stuck with the Johns. <laughs> I, I don't know if we've ever thought through that. <laughs> I, I didn't have anything to do with my part of that. Okay. Be, but, right. uh, well,
1: I'm okay. hoping if your grandson and, and your son would ever listen to this, I could give them something juicy to be like, oh, that's what
0: it's about. But That's what it's about. It, okay. it, I don't know that there was a lot of intentionality there. I just think it happened happen that way. So my not aimed to the. Mm-hmm. From a favorite uncle of his and uh and then they uh, gave me his first name uh, also and we did that with our son and they did that with their son so
1: very trendy you know i appreciate that too and what a testimony to, to your father and what a tribute to your father you know, like i said it was twofold one was what would you tell your your father what would you tell yourself if you could go back and tell colon who's holding your first baby from the hospital or wherever, what would you go back and tell yourself?
0: It'd probably be what I remember thinking at the time was uh, kind of a combination of, my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into here? Uh-huh. Uh, and at the same time, uh, hoping that uh, that we could provide the circumstances and the framework for a healthy life to develop and to grow and to, to be open to new discovery and this this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for the most part, and I, I realize pride is, is a, not, not a good thing and an elusive thing to, to let slip into, but I, I think for the most part, we did encourage them to develop their potential without putting any constraints or mm. any expectations that would that would be burdensome for them. We never did talk about uh, whether to go to college or not. We did, it just sort of was an assumption. And and they were helped in their own generation because that was kind of the normal thing for people to do. I, I guess I, I simply remember being concerned that we be the kind of parents that our children would need for us to be. Sure, sure. Well, sounds like the job well done, mission accomplished, right? <laughs> well, that, Yeah, so they're credited more than ours, I think. (laughs) Well, come on. You got to take a little credit.
1: Well, I would say, too, Looking from your vantage point, you know, you've got your grandfather. You know, you've got two children. They've got children. One's graduating this weekend. Congratulations. Well, what do you see are the biggest challenges facing dads today? Because you do interact, I'm assuming, too, with, with, with dads, Uh, whether it's through your church, whether it's through still connecting with folks at the seminary, through the eyes of your grandchild's friends, your son's peers. Would that be fair to say, you know,
0: what would you see there are some of the biggest challenges today facing dads? I guess I would relate it to the challenges that are facing us all in our culture right now. Dads are are probably in a place uh, to offer perhaps more than, than uh, minimal guidance uh, to a next generation and children, boys and girls, to be part of the solution rather than a continuing part of the problem in our culture, which is, uh, has allowed itself to become uh, swamped in superficial thinking and uh, partisanship and conflict and uh, a, a loss of, the, of a view of the common good to which uh, we all can commit ourselves to if we choose to. Uh-huh. I, I think the, the encouragements uh, that our culture provides that that draw us into that less-than-healthy way of, of thinking are, are pretty subtle, but at the same time pretty effective in uh, sort of channeling, uh, channeling us in directions that are less healthy along the way. And so I, I think uh, the, the function of dad... Uh, is is indicative of a particular kind of relationship that combines support, nurture, guidance, protection, uh, vision, coaching along the way uh, of toward a toward a healthy life. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, this may be a little bit of an aside, but it makes makes the point. I think I had a, a fellow student in graduate school who was a Jesuit priest oh. in the tradition. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I remember one of our Protestant student fellow students asking him one day how it is that that uh, Catholic priests who do not marry and do not have families are called father, and you know just a kind of a question, it's odd that you would call somebody father who isn't one. Uh, and his response was that they use the term father in as designating priests, not because of a biological uh, reality but uh, to designate someone who willingly assumes a responsibility for another's care. Ah. And so fatherhood in his uh, concept was, was a, an attitude more than a biological uh, reality in that sense. And so I, I guess I, I would see one of the challenges for, for fathers and sons and daughters and for the human family to broaden our concept of parenting a bit uh, to participation in the human family in such a way that we embrace the responsibility for each other's nurture and care and guidance and protection, just as a biological father protects, guides, and supports biological children in that sense. And what I, what I think has happened is that we have gotten away from a, a family model uh, way of thinking about uh, the human community had moved more in, into a, a sort of a, uh, I don't know what, competitive model of some sort uh, for the human community that's more focused on individual accomplishment and less on mutual support.
1: Is it fair to say that battling that individual individualized focus as opposed to maybe it also just because of the, the title or the podcast but the role of a father or a dad is for the greater good as well protecting the least of these protecting supporting providing for even those defending um even those that aren't necessarily biological yeah children
0: is that is that fair well i think i think somebody said that you know, it was important one time uh, sometime back there that uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing we are to do is to look out for each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think the image of father is a is a good way of doing that. Not all fathers, of course, have have functioned that way. And and I remember students often mentioning whenever we would use father language in our religious understandings saying you know well it's it's helpful to think about god as father well the challenge would always come well what about those abusive fathers when someone has an abusive exactly. fight, dealt right. god as a father well that that's what comes to mind right but i i think what what we have happened in our experience it follows a kind of a typical pattern is it when we're thinking of uh, and shifting now to a theological framework if i can because that's where i worked sure for so long absolutely thinking about thinking about god and the concepts that help us understand who God is and what God is like, uh, we use the images that are part of our experience, and a popular image for that has been the image of Father. Other images, like King and other things, are, are there too. But we use those images from our own experience as a way of access to thinking about what God is like. But then in the process of Whatever that relationship becomes, however we describe it in faith, that relationship turns around and comes back at us with a transformed image and concept of what fatherhood is. Now we we understand God through the lens of fatherhood, but once we experience God that way, that view comes back uh, through the lens of faith to to change our perspective of, of what fatherhood is. It becomes a refined uh, kind of way there, uh, mm-hmm. so that the the, uh, the the problem is, is, trend, is transcended a bit from the, yeah, but some fathers are cruel and, and abusive, so is that what God is like? No, that, that's not the idea. The idea is an understanding of, of the best of what we understand the image of Father to be becomes our access to thinking about God, and then our relationship with God reinforces that healthy concept of fatherhood at the same time.
1: No, I'm glad like, you brought that up as far as those that would have a problem with
0: mm-hmm.
1: or have a, a warped view of of a father if all they've experienced as
0: an earthly father is one that's a piece of or... Very, very understandable, by the way. I mean, right, not, right. That's no judgment of the person who... No. ...have no, their no. experience, but you can well understand how uh, that person might not find that to be a helpful image. You know, and also we want this to be, a uh,
1: uh, two uh, for listeners that are um, just needing some hope to cling on to or, um, you know, obviously in, in, in our culture today where there's so much isolation and with access to the internet and social media, but, you know, I think <laughs> mental illness is at all-time high and loneliness and people are just not connecting. You know, what would... Are there any words of encouragement from your experience, whether in ministry, whether in you know, the university levels that you any words of encouragement for any men out there or dads out there that are feeling lonely, feeling disconnected, maybe I've made too many mistakes.
0: What would you say? Any any words of encouragement that you feel comfortable I, sharing? I certainly, I certainly would not like claim a, a vantage point of, of significant wisdom on any of these matters, but I, I'll I'll say something about what encourages me. Mm -hmm. And that is when I see examples of people, parents, and uh, since we're talking about the the parent model more than anything else here, when I see parents that are willing to invest in the uh, best possibilities they can for their children to grow and develop perspectives that are inclusive and charitable and respectful and willing to, to commit to things that are healthy, not only for themselves but for those with whom they share the journey, mm-hmm. as opposed to parents that, that might quite sincerely impose expectations that wind up being burdensome um, mm-hmm. for certain levels of performance or certain levels of engagement or whatever. Which can be uh, frustrating and disappointing, and sometimes even crippling, to a child who's going through the uh, maturing process of figuring out who he or she is along the way. I, I think the the gift of uh, openness and a, a sense that 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 the person has inherent worth that deserves to be developed and nurtured in whatever direction life points it along the way, mm-hmm. but when I see those kinds of things happening, I'm encouraged for that family's relationship. And then when I see it being discussed that way in a larger context, I'm encouraged for our society. Uh, I, I guess my, my hope is, is uh, based on a, uh, a, a vision that ultimately the, the, the arc of history moves in a healthy direction, and that even though it has blips here and there, that ultimately the things that are detrimental to our lives do not prevail over the long haul, mm-hmm. and that right. uh, things that are healthy and wholesome are the ones that seem to come back each in each era uh, as as that which is worth pursuing. Is there anything, though, Colin, through our conversation, and but anything
1: that I have not asked you, or anything that. Has stirred in you to to share whether it's your childhood or your children or your ministries or anything that I haven't asked that that you wish that I've I would have asked or anything on your mind or heart.
0: The one thing I would say in response to that is that that the conversation and the questions you have asked me reinforced a thought that's been with me for a while that that one of the key things for our survival as a human race seems to be the nurturing of community rather than the uh, celebration of accomplishment. And and when I say that, I'm I'm simply drawing on on what I understand historically about a lot of things. Whenever, whenever the human family in whatever its context, whether it's a small nuclear family or whether it's a larger community, society, whenever that society's values are aligned with what's good for the whole of that community, rather than what's good for only those who might have the uh, particular skills to excel in certain areas, uh, Uh, then uh, history has a better time of it. uh, when When there's a sense of responsibility across the lines of difference that always divide us, necessarily, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, competitive frameworks where some are going to win and some are going to lose, and uh, you spend all your time trying to figure out how to be a winner. This leads to a, a less healthy framework, it seems to me. Yeah, no,
1: I, I, it, it, that's, it, and that stirs, too, to me, again, in, in, in the last episode that I had, the topic kind of, again, of we're being reminded of community whether that's mentorship or uh, or just again community. We're not alone. You do yeah. need to be around people. Um, mm-hmm. you do need to walk th- through life in yeah, in community with others. We can't we can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh so as you were kind of sharing this I kind of yeah. that that's much better re- well, just replay it in my mind, you know, that we we're created to be in fellowship. We're not created to be uh, lone wolves, if you will. You know, I think too, I just want to reinforce to the dads out there. I think sometimes it's hard for us not to stereotype, but to get out of our comfort zone, to be vulnerable, to find other men, to, uh, you know, find some solid friendships. Um, I think sometimes we tend to be a little bit maybe lonelier, potentially. Um, also, too, the older that we get, you know, and just a really challenged some, some guys to get out of their comfort zone and maybe be the first person to initiate, you know, connections, friendships, mm-hmm. doing, doing life
0: together with, with other folks, mm-hmm. you know, so. I think that's, that's right. I, I really like the way you have framed that. Oh, that's a, that's a
1: good one. Well, I forgot. Pre- I no, I, I appreciate that. And, um, I, I'm curious, are you still involved? I know, um, I'll see your bio as a trustee of developmental, disabilities ministry of georgia
0: not currently i'm not i i my term uh i rotated off the board they had a five-year term arrangement okay i rotated off that board two years ago okay well i have not been back on we still are involved in the sense of contributing and supporting but i'm not as actively engaged as i was okay it's a very significant ministry and i happily support it well i was just wondering because you talk about
1: community and you know and and I don't know, just seeing that on your bio, uh what an incredible ministry that looks like and maybe what they're doing there in Georgia. So I was just yeah, just curious about that if you're still still involved
0: with that. Yeah, at this point only as a supporter. Gotcha. Cheerleader, I guess, would be another thing. But gotcha, gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Well, very, very neat. And you know, Colin, you have such a, a just a a rich life uh, of anything uh, in the lives of obviously with your wife, your two children, and their children, and um, you're leaving quite a legacy. Uh, and what a tribute to your mother and your father and that generation. Um, and so I think we're all, I could truly say we're all better off uh, knowing you, and and I'll see uh, your wife. And I know made a big impact on um, everybody who comes in contact with you especially our family and me um so okay. thank you for that thank you for um for who you are and loving people well um and i feel like anybody that comes to know you you make people feel so uh, at peace and at home and incredible testimony to, to you and to, to your your parents so thank you
0: but well, you were very kind to say that and i i affirm what you say about our parents and and the uh, contribution they made. This is all one generation standing on the shoulders of previous ones and others will stand on ours, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You you certainly are a bright spot in in our family's life, Uh, Ross. You always have been since your younger days. And and, uh, we appreciate the initiative you've taken to create a a platform for conversations of this kind. I I think they have the possibility of being very enriching for those who participate and, and those who listen, so thank you for absolutely. Well, th- well, thank you, and it's fun. I
1: just you know again, I, I want the podcast just to be able to highlight you know dads and encouraging to to whoever listens, and uh, again also too just taking notes as as I'm trying to figure myself out as a father, as an older father of a two year old. So every day, this is such a young man's sport. I always say being a father is such a young man's
0: sport. My goodness. <laughs> i could well, think, think about the value of the maturity you bring to it oh uh, lord some of oh. us became fathers when we were almost children ourselves and uh yeah, but, uh, yeah. that has its own perils of course
1: right but, well good thing i lost my hair a long time ago because <laughs> it would have already been gone Colin. so <laughs> yeah. um well listen you have been kind i know it's 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 late where you are but mm-hmm. uh, again thank you for for wanting to participate and being vulnerable and sharing your story so I just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, and we will look
0: forward to continuing this conversation in one form or another. Absolutely, cool. well, thank you so much. Track.
1: We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.